0: So last week was so much fun with the combination of a movie review and an interview. We're going to do the same thing again this week. It is Thursday, October 24th, and welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and joining me once again is the co-writer of Monsters Anonymous and my co-host on the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast, Mr. Jason Robbins. How are you, sir? I'm
1: good. Back again.
0: Yeah, it was so popular that we had to bring you back again.
1: Hell yeah. Anytime. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So last night, you and I both got to see a movie that we've been really looking forward to uh, for a little while. Both you and I are huge Kevin Smith fans, and both local theaters, you being in Biloxi, me in Pensacola, were doing a special screening of the new Kevin Smith film, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Before we get into the actual review of it, you know, both you and I are huge Kevin Smith fans. What was it that how were you introduced to Kevin Smith and the View Askew Universe? Uh
1: it was I still remember seeing the um, I went to Blockbuster Video back in like 94. I was in 11th grade and I saw the the videotape for Clerks and it just looked cool. You know, like it was really like the the actual sleeve of the vhs tape was it was white but it had bright colorful letters that said clerks and uh, the, the people on it were in black and white I, I read the synopsis for it and i was really starting to get into indie film at the time because of uh you know like um uh quentin tarantino and stuff like that so i was like nah, i'm gonna give this a shot and just rent it and see what it's like and it was one of the coolest movies I'd ever seen up up to that point because I'd never seen, like, me and my friends represented on film before. Like, I didn't know you could make a movie like this where you, it was just people in everyday situations talking about the things that we like to talk about. Like, I'd never seen a movie before where they talked about <laughs> the the – Arc, You know, the, the people that built the Death Star, <laughs> those kind of conversations, you know, and like ever since that day, I've been a rock solid Kevin Smith fan, even though he's had some missteps along the way. You know, he's had a couple of movies there that weren't all that great. Like, I'm not a big fan of like Yoga Hosers. I saw it once, but it doesn't really have that that view universe feel to it. But, you know, back in the heyday of the the ask Universe, the Mall rats and Chasing Amy, Dogma, like, I love all those movies.
0: Yeah. No, they're fantastic. For me, it was a little bit different in the sense that, well, I was in high school as well when I was introduced to Kevin Smith, but it was through Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. This was after the movie was in theaters. It had come out on DVD. And a friend of mine actually brought it to school for me to borrow. Because it looked really funny, you know, I remember seeing the commercials for it and had no idea what was going on. Watched it, thought it was hilarious. And then years later, when the 10-year anniversary DVD of Clerks came out, I saw, oh, it's those two guys from the Jay and Silent Bob movie. Watched it, and I was hooked. And Clerks is still top three favorite movie for me of all time, because to me it represents that... Really, anybody when they set their mind to it, they can make a movie because that's what Kevin Smith did. Like to me, the backstory of how Clerks was made is just as, if not more, interesting than the actual story of Clerks itself. And I'm I'm with you in the sense that it was very relatable in a way because with you know Randall and Dante talking about the architecture of the Death Star and arguing over what Star Wars movie is better between Empire and Jedi, that's a conversation that you know, my friends and I would have at school almost every day. Yeah. So it, it felt like, like you said, we were represented in that movie. And then from there, I was hooked on Kevin Smith. I watched, you know, Mallrats, Dogma, Chasing Amy, was really excited when Clerks 2 came out. And I, to this day, I still can't get enough Kevin Smith. He's my favorite filmmaker because the stuff he makes is very relatable.
1: Yeah. And you know, he still stayed relevant with, you know, our demographic, like guys, like people like us, guys and girls like from not only like the 90s, but <clears throat> just kind of nerd culture kind of, I guess you'd say, yeah, because he never really sold out. And that's I think that's the thing we really love about him after all this time is he never sold out, He never, um, you know, he took a huge like most of his movies, he took huge pay cuts to make them or didn't get paid at all. And he took less money to make his movies to get the cast that he wanted and stuff like that. So, you know, like Chase and Amy, they were going to make that movie for like, you know, five or six million dollars. But he but they wanted him to use their cast that they wanted. So he wanted to use his cast. So they, they busted it down to. I think two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for him to make. And um, you know, it's just little things like that throughout the years, like he's never sold himself out and he's always been successful with, you know, our demographic.
0: And even going beyond his films, but his podcasts have been great. You know, he was one of the direct inspirations for me wanting to do a podcast. And that was where we started, you know, the nerd cave back in the day and then branched off into doing this show and a few others. And even, you know, our podcast that we do, I I can say without a doubt that I would not be podcasting and I probably wouldn't even want to be a filmmaker were I not introduced to Kevin Smith.
1: Yeah. Same here. I mean, if it wasn't for clerks, I, I never would have made You know, Monsters Anonymous and it's crazy to think that you know Brian O'Halloran who played Dante in Clerks was part of a movie that I wrote and you know Jeremy London who was also in Mallrats like not a lot of people get to do that you know make movies with the people that they grew up watching and you know now I've I got an ongoing friendship with Dante over the last you know four or five years where we pretty much talk regularly and that's (laughs) That's a that's an awesome thing, you know?
0: If a time machine's ever invented, you should go back to your past self and tell him that.
1: Oh, if I went back and told my 17-year-old self I'd be making a movie with Dante from Clerks, I, I would completely think I was a
0: liar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no way.
0: Uh, that's great. Now, when this movie, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, was first announced, what was your initial reaction?
1: Um... I was excited from the very beginning. I've always wanted him to kind of get back to, uh, you know, the, the view of Universe. And even though the, the Jay and Silent Bob movie, uh, the Skewniverse movies are, are a bit silly, but they're still kind of grounded in reality, while the Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and reboot are kind of a surreal version of the viewers universe, like kind of outside of reality, a little bit silly, but that's, what's cool about them. And, um, this one, especially reboot, it's got a lot of heart man. and that's something that ever since clerks Two, like, uh, you know, Kevin Smith has been putting a lot more heart into his stuff, like heartfelt stuff. And when he, said he was doing reboot like I was really excited because I was like this is the Kevin Smith we want to see you know going back to what why we love him and going back to all these characters that we love so much
0: I think Wally put it best on Facebook last night after I saw the movie it's like seeing old friends that you haven't seen in over a decade
1: exactly
0: yeah, that's exactly how I felt as I was watching the movie, and like you, I was, I was curious about it in the beginning because I knew it had been so long, you know, nearly twenty years since Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back came out, and I think Clerks Two might have been '06, somewhere along those lines, like around the, the mid to late yeah. 2000s. So I was very curious to see what he would do going back into that universe, and it was very meta in a lot of ways, but I think it was done in a really good way. And there, there were a lot of, and obviously this is a spoiler filled conversation. So if you haven't seen the movie, you might not want to listen to the rest of this podcast, but I noticed a lot of reflections from the original Jay and Silent Bob, like the way it started going back to, you know, Brody's comic shop, but it was fun in a way. Like I didn't, I didn't mind it because like they kept bashing, not necessarily bashing, but bringing up the whole reboot versus remake. And it's like, you guys are essentially doing the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it worked. And from the very beginning of the movie, like I was drawn in and it was fantastic.
1: Well, That's the, the brilliance of the movie itself is <clears throat> it's kind of, on the surface. It's silly, but, it's got a, like you said, it's very meta, and I think he did it pretty well. <laughs> like I, I do need to see it uh, a few more times, but it's definitely going into the rotation of the Buisk universe uh, movies that I like to watch.
0: Oh, for sure! Like quality-wise, it's definitely up there with you know really any of them. Like it fits perfectly. I don't think the quality really dropped off. As far as story or anything like that, I, I thought it was interesting. It just from the real life dynamic of knowing like how Kevin Smith is because I've listened to his podcast now for years and seeing you know like Jason Mewes and other characters having Harley Quinn Smith, who is Kevin Smith's real life daughter, play the love child of Jay and Justice was great.
1: Well, it's also – I guess – I don't know if Kevin meant for this – for those of us who have followed Kevin Smith for the last 25 years, there was always – you know, shitty internet trolls (laughs) always said there was this rumor that uh, Harley Quinn Smith was actually – Jason Muse's daughter mm-hmm. because she looked more like Jason Muse than she does Kevin Smith and that was always kind of a shitty rumor that people put out there so I don't know if he if he did that to kind of play with that rumor a little bit I kind of felt like he was
0: Yeah I could definitely see that Now what were some of the some, some of the things that really stood out to you from the movie like any certain cameos or moments that like are still really fresh in your mind that really blew you away?
1: Um, oh, there was one in particular um, Val Kilmer <laughs> <laughs> showing up in the movie, just delighted me and Wally to no end when we were watching it like that. It, it completely paid off the the whole silent Bob using the phone to, to type out what he was like, the emojis and stuff like that was the perfect payoff to that joke.
0: Yeah, that that whole thing, even the shtick from the beginning w- was was great. Like, and it the cool thing is it incorporated you know modern technology. Like it it incorporated you know an Uber slash Lyft driver. Yeah. It incorporated <laughs> cell phones. The thing was Silent Bob just sending emojis and him taking forever to actually type out what was essentially just a smiley face or a heart or something like that. I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um,
1: And there were some other like little jokes in the movie that really made me, me and Wally laugh. Like there was one joke and I knew I was like, I bet Derek gets this joke, too. There was a joke towards the end when um, when uh, Harley Quinn Smith, her character, switches out Silent Bob for um, Kevin Smith and because they, quote, look alike. <laughs> And the the, the first AD ran up to one of the girls and was like, okay, the director stopped talking to me. So that pretty much means this whole production has gone off the rails. (laughs) And me and Wally, we almost (laughs) fell out of our seats laughing because I think we were the only two people in the theater that actually got that (laughs) joke. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it got a few laughs in the theater I was in, but I think I found it much more funny than anybody else did. Yeah. <laughs> that whole dynamic was great between, you know, actually the real Kevin Smith, quote unquote, being in the movie and the, the scene when he goes backstage and walks by the mirror and his reflection is Silent Bob. Yeah. <laughs> that was, again, one of those meta moments, but it's really cool. You know, as, as a fan, it's really cool.
1: At first, I was kind of like, oh, I, don't, I, he, I don't know if it's going to work him putting himself into the movie, but it actually ended up working. So I was happy with that.
0: When it kind of incorporated the very last scene. So there were additional scenes that were shown during the end credits. And the last one was him with a group of people at Chronicon, which is yeah. where the climax of the film takes place. He said, yeah, we're about to shoot this picture for, you know, a scene that's definitely not going to be cut from the movie. And sure enough, it was cut from the main (laughs) portion of the movie.
1: (laughs) And it's cool because actually um, one of our really good friends, Matt Westphalen, who uh, uh, was in Monsters Anonymous, and he was one of our biggest supporters. And you met him at uh, Pensacon Mm -hmm. a few years ago. He was in the movie a lot as an extra it was awesome i was like every time i turned around I s like especially in the chronicon part like he was all over the place in in that and at that very end scene that was cut that wasn't supposed to be cut like you were saying he was in that too so i i got on twitter and i was like i i spotted me a wild matt westphalen a bunch of times <laughs> in the movie
0: <laughs> no that's that's great I, I bet that set was just so much fun to be on man oh yeah um oh those cameos were great. The two that really stood out to me and this one I'm going to be kind of biased on, but the Chris Jericho cameo like had me dying.
1: Oh yeah. I was, I was uh, really curious to see what his role was going to be because I listened to the smodcast that he was on Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about, you know, they were talking about his costume. So I was like, I wonder what he's going to be doing. And then he shows up and I was like, Oh, this is awesome.
0: (laughs) And I was waiting for him to actually show up in the movie. And then when that scene comes up and you see the burning cross and I'm just like, holy shit, they're going all out with this thing. And, yeah. <laughs> then, and then he takes the hood off and I was like, oh, there he is. And I heard somebody behind me was like, is that Chris Jericho? I want to turn around and say, yeah, that's Chris Jericho.
1: Yeah, I, I can't believe the, the amount of uh, like the quality of cameos he got for the movie.
0: Oh, him, Chris Hemsworth. Val Kilmer it was it was a true like who's who of of film and the whole
1: Ben Affleck part too like oh that, whole that was surprising to was me was so good
0: well the thing with him being like yeah you know I got to play Batman and then Thomas Wayne and I was married to uh, what's her name I forget like that whole had the whole theater dying yeah <laughs> Now the Ben Affleck thing was a surprise. I mean, it's it's one of those things that made sense to do it, but I wasn't thinking of it. And then as soon as he popped up on screen, I was like, "I'm so glad that he did it."
1: Yeah, and it, and it it felt good too because you know that they kind of had their falling out, didn't talk to each other for years, and then this kind of felt like that, uh, you know, them
0: patching you know, just things up,
1: burying the hatchet.
0: Yeah. The other one, it has to be the Stanley cameo.
1: Oh man, that was that almost made me tear up.
0: Yeah, I, I got a little teary eyed. I'm not gonna lie, and that was one that, you know, everybody was laughing during the end credits, but then when that happened, everyone clapped very briefly, but everyone was quiet. Yeah. So they could hear every bit of what Stanley did during that. The thing scene.
1: was, is like it made me want to cry, but it was also really funny. So that's why, you know. But there was a lot of times during the movie, too, that were like kind of tear-jerking like uh, parts of the movie. Like I, I don't know. It kind of felt almost like this was really the end of it all, but not really. It's weird.
0: Yeah, it definitely had more, I think, of an emotional impact than any of the other View Askewverse movies. They all have their moments, but I felt like this, you know, dealing with... Jay wanting to tell um, his daughter that hey I'm your dad but he promises his mom that he won't do it Yeah, he promises her mom that he won't do it and then at the very end when it actually happens like you're because you're waiting for that moment when he's finally going to do it and wait to see her reaction like it was there were some real emotional parts like you said
1: yeah and Jay Muse like really
0: (laughs) his best performance is Jay
1: exactly like he was really like i don't know there was a lot of times in the movie it felt pretty heavy mm-hmm. you know he ha- he had a lot on his shoulders to like as far as conveying emotion and he did it and i was like man he's come a long way like and and that's one thing i kept thinking about through the whole movie i was like you look back at clerks the character he was in that movie to where the character is now And it's probably one of the greatest character arcs of all time.
0: Well, I'm sure this was at your theater too, but Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes did like a pre-recorded video before the movie actually started of them kind of talking about, you know, a little bit of what the film is about. And Kevin Smith actually mentioned that the progression that Mewes had gone through from in Clerks when he basically had to direct him, almost micromanage him in a way to where he is now it's it's a true transformation and you can see it through every film that those two characters are in
1: oh yeah and just even listening to uh you know uh Jay and Simon Bob uh get old what is their get old yeah just kind of like i remember those times when there were the rumors and the 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 tmz uh articles about jason Mews like running from the cops and like uh, you know him being hooked on heroin and all that stuff and it's like are we gonna be able to have him in the next movie and like all that kind of stuff and from that to where he is now like his daughter was in the movie and that was awesome mm-hmm. so it's, it's just not only did, did the character jay grow but the actual human being behind the character grew too
0: no, it's been a cool transformation on both ends, really since since the '90s, and I think that's in a way why we can relate to those movies in a way because it's like, as we grow up, the movies grow up with us. You know, the only other comparison I can think of is, you know, the Toy Story franchise because I was almost 10 years old when the first one came out and then Toy Story 3 comes out years later in 2010 and Andy the main character is in college and at the end when he you know gives Woody, Buzz and all the other toys to I think her name's Molly and then leaves a, a lot of people my age and a little bit younger really resonated to that because it was like that was our childhood coming to an end. Yeah. So seeing exactly. seeing the progression of you know the Jay character and really others as they evolve, because I, I think Kevin Smith said this in an interview a long time ago, that when he looks back at Clerks 1 as his phase of his life when he was in his 20s, he looks at Clerks 2 as the phase of his life when he was in his 30s. And then you could say Jay and Silent Bob reboot is him in his 40s. Because I I know that, I don't know if you saw it on Instagram, but supposedly uh, Clerks 3 is happening.
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, I've been, I was kind of expecting that. Like, because I know a lot of Clerks 3 was put into Jay and Silent Bob. Because I did, You know I don't know if anybody knows, I actually got to hang out with a lot of the Clerks cast whenever Jay and Silent Bob was being filmed.
0: Still jealous of that, by the way. <laughs> oh, so awesome. I got to
1: have dinner with the entire cast of Clerks. And I got a lot of the inside scoop, you know, about, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Randall. Uh, Jeff Anderson. His real name? Yeah, Jeff Anderson. And kind of what was happening behind the scenes and all that and how Clerks 3 couldn't happen and all that stuff. And it was disappointing, but I knew eventually that Jeff Anderson was going to come around because kevin wasn't going to give up that easily because clerks three needs to be made it needs to be fully rounded out and like you said it's the clerks one is him in his 20s clerks two is him in his 30s so clerks will be him in his 40s you know approaching 50 years old because you got to think and what 2023 clerks will be 30 years old
0: that's insane
1: it's crazy I mean, that's, ugh, that makes me weirded out.
0: <laughs> Do you think Clerks 3 should be the bookend to the View Askewverse?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I don't know what other stories you could tell. I mean, this was... Reboot was exactly what it needed to be because we were there at the beginning and we've all aged to the point where we're seeing all the reboots and the remakes and all that stuff. And Jan, and Silent Bob is basically you know reboot is a reboot of the first movie like it says but it's also making fun of the reboot so it's just completely meta exactly what jay and silent bob strike back was at the time so i really think and like i said that the jay and silent bob movies are, are a little bit surreal and a bit out of the reality based movies i mean not that you know Clerks and Mallrats and all those movies were reality-based, especially Dogma, but they were kind of grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. So I think Clerks 3 definitely needs to kind of be the bookend of everything.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And it's funny, as we keep having this conversation, I keep remembering the cameos that I forgot to mention at the beginning. Like the Matt Damon cameo was great. Oh, that was so good. <laughs>
1: That was good. That was really good. I wish he would have kept it to where he narrated the movie throughout. I oh, that would have been awesome. Been a nice touch.
0: Yeah, the the Jason Bourne joke at the end, like almost oh, had me out of was, my seat.
1: That was good.
0: And then really good at Chronicon, as they're running from you know the cop who is I believe was the same one from Jason Dedrick Diedrich
1: Bader. He's yeah. one of the funniest people on the planet. I yeah. love Diedrich
0: Bader. He's great. I was so happy that he was brought back, but when they're running through the different convention rooms and they run into the cast from Clerks, and they're black <laughs> and white, and then they turn black and white, yeah, it's so great. And then of course you know the comic book men they ran through their panel, yeah, with Ming Chen talking about how comic book men got canceled.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there were so many little jokes that, that only a few people were laughing at in the theater. Like you could tell who the hardcore Kevin Smith fans were.
0: Yeah. Because a lot of the dialogue really reflected, especially Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. The dialogue, the jokes, like they were changed a little bit. Because there was uh, when Silent Bob put on the Iron Man suit and showed up back at you know the the main (laughs) hall or whatever. When Kevin Smith yells, "Oh, Marvel's gonna sue somebody," yeah, (laughs) it was the same thing. When I think Chris Rock yelled, "George Lucas is gonna sue somebody." At, yep. in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. So just little little nuggets like that was what made it so great.
1: Oh, yeah. When he, when he said that, me and Wally were both just... Man, there was a lot of times during the movie me and Wally were just rolling. Yeah. Um, there was a part when uh, Jay first sees Justice on the TV in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and the, he kind of goes into the dream sequence where she's pegging him in the, in the news studio and uh, Brian O'Halloran is is like ducked below the desk and he's like peeking his eyes over
0: he <laughs> just slowly dude, comes up over the desk oh
1: my god i was laughing so hard during that part i just wanted i wanted to call Brian O'Halloran right then and be like dude you are a comedic genius
0: <laughs> all about timing
1: oh it was so good
0: no, and the the shocker to me, or one of them anyway, was bringing back Rosario Dawson, who was one of Dante's love interests in Clerks uh-huh. 2 as being married to Justice. Yeah. That that one yeah. honestly surprised me. But it was cool yeah, they brought were, her back.
1: There were, like, I, 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 there were so many things. Like I wanted to see her twice because I wanted to see her play that role, but I also wanted to, her to play... Um, who she was in Clerks 2 because mm-hmm. of Dante. Yeah, because Dante had a couple of really good, <laughs> um, really good spots in the movie too. The very beginning of the movie, of course, and then like the very, very, the very end of the movie. Um, probably my favorite line in the movie is when uh, Jay and Silent Bob are outside the Quick Stop with Jay's with Jay's daughter. And Dante is over off, you know, at the side of the screen trying to get the, the locks open on the front of the quick stop. And Jay looks at his daughter and says, we've been coming here for 25 years jamming gum in the locks. <laughs> that was like that just topped it off for me right there.
0: And a 25 year old mystery was solved. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think they ever addressed in the original clerks who did it. Uh uh-uh. And sure enough, it was it was Jay and Silent Bob.
1: Yeah, he's like, we've been coming here every night for 25 years jamming gum in the locks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, it was just, I haven't laughed that hard at a movie in the movie theater in a long time. And it was just pure fun. It's like you said, it was exactly what it needed to be. It was a fun nostalgia trip that didn't take itself too seriously. It was meta, but in a very good way.
1: You know, the best thing about it, too, is especially a movie like like this and like even Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was because if you're a Kevin Smith fan and you're part of that, you feel like you're part of a community because when you watch this movie and, of course, Strike Back, it's it's like watching a movie full of inside jokes. Yeah. And it makes you feel just like that much closer to like Kevin Smith and like it just a part of like it feels like we're part of a small community and I don't know it's, it's just it's kind of cool
0: well and I feel like most every filmmaker in what the films that they make they put small elements of themselves into their films but with Kevin Smith it's very prevalent that he puts a lot of himself not in the sense of him playing Silent Bob, but his personality and his interest. He puts a lot of his, his being into his movies, but it's done in a way that makes you appreciative of it and makes it enjoyable to watch, and it makes it relatable, I think, because I feel like Kevin Smith is very much, he's not like a, he doesn't look at himself really as a celebrity. He looks at himself as a regular person
1: yeah exactly. That's why we love him so much,
0: yeah. it is from clerks to seeing you know what he is doing now. And, like you said at the beginning he he never sold out. You know he tried a couple of bigger budget films, but at the end of the day, he's known for clerks. he's known for Jay and silent Bob. He's known for creating this universe that has a huge following. I mean, the theater that I was in last night. You know, I got there five minutes before the movie started, and I had to sit in the second row because of how packed it was. Yeah. And it was great to see. And, you know, with theaters now doing assigned seating, it's a little bit different. But with that, because it was exempt from AMC, it was pretty much open seating. So it was interesting having to sit, you know, that close to the screen because I haven't had to do it in a long time. But yeah. it was great in the sense that it was packed full of people who loved the movie. Because I'm sure you'd think the same thing in a theater. When people are laughing, it almost makes you laugh in a way. And it, it really creates this great atmosphere for what's already a great film.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a communal experience, especially when you're all there, part, part of a small community anyway. And you know, you're all there because you love this one certain thing you know, the viewers universe, you love Kevin Smith and his movies and the things he, he does. So, you know, it's just, it makes it so much better.
0: Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. What was your biggest takeaway from Jay and Silent Bob reboot?
1: Um, my biggest takeaway was just being inspired, you know, like everything Kevin Smith does, inspires me in some way. And this movie, especially just lit a fire under me and Wally both to be like, you know what? uh, Being able to like make movies with your friends, like just Kevin Smith proves that you can make like small movies with your friends that have a huge impact on people. Mm -hmm. And I love like just being inspired and just being a part of a community and, and, and this movie just kind of getting back to, to what we love about Kevin Smith movies, the view of universe. So I, you know, I don't want it to be the last skew universe movie. I want there to be a clerks three and I would hate for clerks three to be the final movie. I, I want them to make view universe movies until the day, you know, he actually does die hopefully that won't be anytime soon after, you know, his heart attack last year. But I think, you know, the heart attack kind of maybe lit a fire under him too, that, you know, it, it's, it's fun and all to make movies like Tusk, but at the end of the day, like, I think he has more fun playing in the view, VU, universe sandbox.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My biggest takeaway was that, this was to me the most emotional movie that I think he's ever made because you think of all the silly parts that are in this movie and there are a lot of them but this one had a bigger emotional impact on me than I think any of the other ones and a lot of it I think has to do with you know realizing that we are getting a little bit older and realizing you know our own mortality and I'm sure that You know, that had a lot to do with, you know, Kevin Smith's mindset after his heart attack. Yeah. So that was my my biggest takeaway is that it shows that he he's matured as a filmmaker because of the serious points that are in this film. But he can still have fun with all the silly stuff.
1: And that's that's uh, I think that's probably my biggest takeaway is that even though we're getting older, like everybody in the movie looks older. You know, you can definitely tell (laughs) everybody's aged quite a bit since the last view Universe movies. But at the same time, it's like even the older we get, you know, we can still be silly and have fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, overall, how would you, where would you rank Jay and Silent Bob reboot? I know I'm going to put you on the spot with this, but where would you rank it in your placement of the View-esque Universe movies?
1: Ooh, oh man. Um, well, I will say that I always ha- have a soft spot in my heart for the original Clerks. That will probably always be my favorite Usk movie. I love Clerks too. Um, Mallrats has kind of fallen a little bit because of. Uh, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say this is. I probably rank this. Right up there, even with Jay and Silent Bob, strike back. I mean, it's, I I don't want to rank them all at, you know, number rank, but it's up there.
0: Yeah, I would probably, even though I know I just saw it, I think I might have to put it number two. I will always have the original Uh. clerks as my number one because of you know what that film means to me as far as wanting to make films and just the sheer enjoyment of it. You know, that's yeah. a movie that I can watch and I can put on my TV, or if I see it on TV, I will sit down and watch it. And there's very few movies that I'll do that with. But
1: you know, I think that you're probably right. I think I would probably rank it like that too. The original Clerks and then this movie to give me the most inspiration to want to make my own
0: movie. Yep. That and just, as I was saying, you know, a second ago, the emotional impact that it had and having that right balance of comedy and telling a good story to me makes it a really good film. So that's why I would put it, you know, number two right behind the original Clerks. Yeah. But uh, do you have any other thoughts on the film before we before we call this a show?
1: Um, no, not really. I, I just want to say that you know, if you haven't seen it or um, you know, you missed the Fathom event w- when it comes out in wide release, which I think it will be happening as they're touring it around the country. If you can't make it to one of the the touring shows, definitely catch it in the theater. Um, yes. Before before it hits DVD or, or home video at this point, because it's definitely a theater experience that you need to have.
0: Absolutely. Well, in closing, do you want to plug um, our podcast and also your band?
1: Absolutely. Um, me and Derek both do uh, retro gaming podcasts. So if you're into retro games and uh, video game history, uh, you know um, we do video gaming news, retro gaming news, that kind of stuff over at Nerd Cave Retro Podcast, which you can follow us on Twitter at Nerd Cave Retro. Um, you can download it wherever podcasts are available. And also, um, my band Falls From Grace. You can f- um, follow us at FFG Band on Twitter and um, Instagram. And we just released an EP not too long ago called Thelma, which you can get on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Amazon, wherever you can download music, it's available. And um, we're also going to have a show. In, if you're in the Biloxi area on November 16th, it's going to be Uh, Falls from Grace with Party at the Moon Tower, uh, Project Nine, and a a host of other bands. It's going to be a really good time. We're going to have food trucks, all kind of stuff. It's November 16th. show starts at 6. You can get your tickets at thesound228.com. And uh, it's going to be all afternoon. It's going to be food, drinks, uh, concessions. Um, Kids under 10 are free, and tickets are $15 for anyone over the age of 10. And I think that's about
0: it. Fantastic. Well, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to review Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. It was awesome. Dude, thank you. And now, please stay tuned for my conversation with actress Nicole Dambro. Thanks for listening. Happy to be joined with my special guest this week, actress Miss Nicole Dambro. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Doing good. Doing good. So uh, before we dive into um, your acting career, and specifically uh, your latest film, Groupers, which I recently got to see a couple of weeks ago, um, where are you originally from? And what was it that kind of sparked this interest into wanting to pursue an acting career?
2: Well, I'm from Vero Beach, Florida, which is uh, like a small island town off the east coast of Florida, about an hour north of West Palm. And uh, after I graduated from college, I moved to Miami, actually, to become a professional dancer. I thought that I wanted to be a dancer or a dance choreographer. I wanted to go on tour, so I started off my entertainment career in Miami uh, as a Miami Heat dancer, and I danced uh, with artists that came through to do like the big award shows. Uh, I've, I've danced with people like... Pitbull and one time with Jennifer Lopez, which is awesome, um, and some, some other great like Latin artists. So it was during that, that time I was also auditioning for commercials and stuff and started taking acting classes. I kind of realized that my body was saying, ah, this dance stuff is getting to be too much. And I realized that it was the performance quality of the dancing that I really loved. So that's when I started leaning more into uh, acting. And I tried to make it happen in Miami, but I realized if I really wanted to make a career out of it, I had to move to Los Angeles or New York. So I chose LA, naturally, because it's sunny here. It's great weather. Um, and, yeah, so I, I moved here about six years ago, and I started pursuing my acting career. And I've just been super, super lucky with every project that I've managed to book. Has It's just been of exceptional quality, great storyline. the Characters were great for me and I've gotten to play and they've kind of just led into each other, you know, where you're networking and you're meeting new people and you're going from one great project to being suggested for another one or being brought back for like someone's next latest project because they liked working with you, you know, two, three years ago. That's kind of how it works here. And that's how it worked for, for groupers actually. So I'd actually done another movie called The Axiom that was produced by uh, Max Langworth, and he liked working with me, and he liked my character and thought that I would be an excellent choice for the character of Megan Grupper. so he suggested me to Anderson, and I auditioned and got that part. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Sounds like you've done quite a bit in what seems like a short amount of time.
2: Yes, yes. I've been really lucky. When I first got here, I started off with doing a series called Con that was produced by USC students, and that actually was nominated for two College Emmys. So that got a lot of attention. It had excellent writing, and I loved working with, um, you know, with the college students and with the cast because it was such a collaborative effort, which is amazing. That's kind of where I think the character of Meg was born, like this antihero. Uh, you know, bad girl with a chip on her shoulder and something to prove. That's, like, where that character was born, which was awesome. And then the next thing I did was a short film called um, Death to Cupid. And Death to Cupid went to Comic-Con.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So,
2: like, I started right off with that, and that was amazing. And then, you know, started doing the horror film thing, and we did Alone with in the Dead of Night, which just came out earlier this year on Prime. And then I did Pitchfork, which was great because that was with all of my you know, dance homies from back in Florida uh, with Glenn Douglas Packard, who's amazing. And uh, Pitchfork actually got a ton, of, a ton of attention, which was great. And um, yeah, and then I, I did Axiom Groupers. And then I've got another film coming out at the end of this year called a Walk with Grace, which is a Christian film. Oh, wow. Completely in the other direction. <laughs> we go from kidnapping guys to doing a Christian film. Because I'm versatile, Derek.
0: No, you have to be. <laughs> well, that that's yeah. the cool thing about acting is that you can do one role that, you know, is completely different than a previous one or different from the next one that you do. So that's that's kind of, I've always been a little envious of actors, from especially ones who can play you know, such versatile roles. You know, you you think of some of the greats that will play like a super silly role in one movie and then the next they're, you know, sobbing and making you cry. It's an awesome talent to have.
2: Absolutely.
0: Backtracking a bit to your time in Miami and growing up in Florida and then moving to LA, I'm sure you probably don't miss the humidity, do you?
2: I actually do. Really? Yeah, I grew up learning how to manage the humidity. So like, I love the way that my skin and my hair feels when I'm out there. When I come back to LA after visiting home, I just feel like there's this episode in SpongeBob where he goes into the Terranium that the little squirrel lives in, and he just like completely dries out. Yeah. That's how I feel when I come back to <laughs> California. Like my skin just feels so dry; it starts peeling. Like my hair starts breaking. It's very dry here. You gotta like put a lot. Like, people put oil on their face. Growing up in Florida, I never knew that people did that. That sounded so terrible, but like it's something you have to do here. So there's a lot more maintenance that comes with no humidity. So I do miss it.
0: Well, it's a different type of heat too. I, I'm from Pensacola, so I, I know all about oh! the. I know all about the heat.
2: Yes, Florida, what's up?
0: Yeah, right. So. During your time when you were in Miami being a a dancer with the Heat, was there like a specific thing that really wanted you to pursue acting? Was it like a movie or something along those lines?
2: So there actually was. uh, I was called to be a featured extra on the set of Rock of Ages.
0: Oh, nice. That
2: had come to town. They had completely rebuilt Sunset Boulevard like in downtown Miami, it was incredible. And um, there was, there's the giant strip club scene, right? Mm -hmm. So I was a waitress in the giant strip club scene. And we shot for about, for about a week. And there were only like 20 extras. So it was a very like intimate set, right? Mm -hmm. And just being on set, and usually I'm one of the dancers. In fact, I think I auditioned and I got all the way to the finals for that. But then I pulled my groin or something, which is extremely painful and there's no way you could keep dancing on that. So um, I am an extra and I'm watching all these moving pieces come together and I'm watching, you know, as the stand-ins move out and the actors come in and just really getting to like see the movie making process like firsthand. And I was like, wow, I want to keep doing this, but I don't want to be an extra. <laughs> so that was the moment, you know, when I'm, when I'm on set of, rock of ages, watching all these amazing actors go to work. I'm like, I need to do this all the time.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned that because it, it takes me back to when I interviewed Anderson Cowan, the director of Groupers. We both talked about that moment when you get what he called the bug of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And you, and it's, it's a much more, I guess, politically correct term than what I use. I always compare it to a drug, whereas once you have it in your system, you don't want to do anything else. And that's. It's what the right. whole process is like. It's either you love it, like once you do it, you love it, and you don't want to do anything else, or you can't stand it and you never want to do it again. Like to me, there's really no in-between.
2: Right. Yep. And that's that's totally what happened. I totally caught the bug. I, don't, I think it was one year after Rock of Ages, and I was in Los Angeles, and I took that year to save up money because I knew it would be expensive to get started, so... That's why it took me so long, or else I probably would have hopped a flight right there.
0: <laughs> well, Lisa, you sounds like you were smart about it, which is good.
2: Yes, I'm. I as a dancer, you're you kind of know that you can't cheat your way into anything. It takes a lot of preparation. It takes a lot of practice and perfection. You know, so having that dance discipline under my belt, I think, has really helped me here.
0: Well, I think you know whatever activity you do that leads into your eventual goal it's good to to take something away from like you know you mentioned you know experiences you learned as a dancer that you can take with you into the next phase of your life
2: Mhm.
0: exactly no that's awesome so fast forwarding to the film groupers I will say you know from watching it it was not at all what I expected it to be <laughs> Which is a good thing, because especially with indie movies, I'll read a general description of what it's about, but I like to just go in not knowing a lot of what's going on, just so I can you know, watch the story unfold naturally, and like I said, it was not at all what I expected it to be, but it was a really, really enjoyable and entertaining, but at the same time, thought-provoking movie.
2: I'm glad that you think so. That's, that's what we were hoping for.
0: Now, what was your, because you were, you know, the lead of the entire film, how did you initially get involved with it, and then how was your experience on set with Groupers?
2: As I mentioned before, I was suggested by the, one of the producers, uh, Max Landworth, for the role. Uh, I still had to come in and audition the heck out of it, <laughs> um, so that's how I got the, the role, and then... During the audition process, I had no idea that it was actually a dark comedy as far as I knew from the sides, which is the script. As far as I knew from the script that I was given, I was just going to be kidnapping two boys, and that was my role. So I was like, ooh, I get to play like the sadistic girl with ulterior motives, and who knows why she's really doing this. But we find out why she's really doing it, which is hilarious, the reason why. Um, So that was awesome because... This whole movie explores the topic: Is homosexuality a choice? And it's a question that's close to my heart because of a lot of family members and friends that are LGBTQ. And I hate that we're living in times of such violence and um, you know m- mistreatment of people who are gay and people who are different. Uh, it's not something that you just like wake up and decide to be. It's something that you're just born and that's the way you are. And, you know, that's the message that the movie does give without forcing it down your throat. Um, yeah, so it was a very, I took, I took this movie very seriously once I got the full picture of what we were doing. But with that being said, being on set in the development of the story was hilarious. First of all, I lost my voice day one. So I did the entire movie. That scratchiness, that exhaustion was real. It was very challenging, but awesome. I think it really helped.
0: I would agree with that. But,
2: um, another thing that Anderson had us do was we were pretty method on set. Did he tell you about this?
0: He had mentioned the actor who played your brother in the film wanted the two boys to legitimately heckle him because he's a method actor. Yes. And it, it sounded yes. like it would be one of those things that's borderline. Uh, should I step in and say something about this?
2: It was, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> because they were in it from the minute they walked on set. And, and Peter and, um, and Cameron were just, they played Brad and Dylan, the two bullies in the movie. They were just miserable with it. I mean, they really gave it to Jesse. They really tortured him which is hilarious. And I tried so hard not to laugh because I'm supposed to take this personally. So that stuff didn't affect me, but, um, there were many moments where like, I wanted to taser the guys because I wanted them to feel what it felt like. So -hmm. they would legitimately be scared of my taser or like, I wanted to shock them because there's these little like shock pads that I put on them when I kidnapped them. Mm -hmm. And Anderson told me I couldn't do that. (laughs) told me that the, the hazer was just a show and I needed to be nice. Um, <laughs> he joked around a lot that I was the only one that came in to audition that I um, could truly come off as both cute and crazy. Let me just say, I was just, I was just doing it for the art of it. I wanted it to be as real as possible. And all that playfulness and joking aside, all the actors on set were so capable and committed that they made my job easy. And I mean, that's really all that I could say.
0: That's awesome. No, it, it, yeah. I, I tell people, you know, because from what little I've worked on film sets, you're on set for 10 to however many hours a day it takes to get that day of shooting done. Why would yeah. you want to spend that length of time being miserable and either yelling at someone or being yelled at? Like, it just makes for an overall <laughs> miserable experience. You're supposed to be doing it because you love it.
2: Right. Not to actually get tortured. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's what what you just described to me sounds exactly like what a film set should be, that, you know, you keep the mood light because, as I said, you're there for long amounts of time. Right. But at the end of the day, you're there to to do a job and to get it done. And it sounds like you guys, you know, were really dedicated to making that happen, which I think is a testament to, you know, not just you or to Anderson, but really the entire cast and crew.
2: Mm-hmm. It really is. Working with everybody is, they just make it so easy. And of course, there was a, a fair play of, a fair share of horseplay going on, which, you know, is healthy. But at the end of the day, everything was super focused and we got it done. I mean, there was a day for people who do film making, there was a day where we did like 34 pages. I mean, we, it was ambitious, we got a lot done. So we were definitely there to work, and it was absolutely a little film family. I have so much respect for everybody who was on that movie. Well,
0: and that's a good point, too, is that because of the amount of time that you spend with everyone on set, you almost become like an like a extended family, in a way. And then if you meet yeah. up for like a premiere or a wrap party, it's almost like a family reunion,
2: in a way. Exactly, and a lot of people that were on the movie uh, that were on the crew were also on the same crew for Axiom. So I knew their faces. I'd worked with them, like Kyle, who did sound, and then of course Max, the producer. It was it was fantastic. Oh, and Cat or AD was also from Axiom, and she's just amazing. So it was great going going to set. I wish I could make movies with my friends just for the rest of my life. Wouldn't that be the ideal situation. I would just love that.
0: You never know; it could happen. I know, right? <laughs> that's that's the dream, right?
2: That is the dream. I feel like Mindy Kaling does that. I just watched a movie where I was like, "Oh, he's from the Mindy Show, and now he's in her movie." So, like, she brings her friends.
0: That would be a great. that would be a great position to be in. But yeah, no, it's um, and that's something that I've noticed too. You know, because I I mentioned to to Anderson. Uh, when I interviewed him, that back in December, I directed my first short film, and I—that's kind of what yeah. I. Yay. Oh uh, yeah! Thank you. Um, no, it was. Uh, I noticed that same type of vibe where everyone just was, you know, meshed really well together, and it became almost like a family, in a way. And the, and the entire cast wants to do a sequel to it, I think, just so they can all work together again. But yeah, it, a, I think. But I think that's a, a good testament that when you want to keep working with other people that's that that's the goal
2: that is the goal yes that's in-commit storytelling at its finest
0: and it's your you're making because film is ultimately a collaborative effort and i mentioned this to almost everyone that asked me about it my favorite aspect of filmmaking is the collaboration between actors directors director of photography, sound, editing, all three phases of the process, the collaborative effort is, to me, the most enjoyable part of filmmaking. Absolutely. It's awesome. Uh, But as far as groupers go, um, do you have uh, any um, upcoming screenings for it that you'd like to talk about?
2: Yes, we're expecting a full digital release, so you'll be able to watch from the comforts of your home. I know um, Anderson's, dream is for for everybody to be sitting down after Thanksgiving dinner and watching groupers from their couch with their family I don't know if my family <laughs> could handle it <laughs> like Nicole you kidnapped two kids and did what with their penises uh, Anderson I don't know what your family likes to watch <laughs> at Thanksgiving but I don't know how well that would go over with my family
0: that would be a, a fun explanation to give over Thanksgiving. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Just so you guys know, I don't do anything inappropriate with them. I don't actually touch them. It's just a premise in the movie. There was no, there are no wieners involved, <laughs> visual wieners involved in the making of this movie. Do not be scared off. <laughs> it's
0: just a Chinese finger trap.
2: Exactly. Just a Chinese finger trap.
0: Which the, well the the premise of like how that whole thing started was a, an interesting story to hear all in itself. But um, now it's it's uh, like I said at the beginning, it's a really enjoyable movie and it's extremely thought provoking because I think it's it's a topic that I think is very relevant in today's day and age. And it's the message is given in such a subtle way that mm-hmm. like you realize it towards the end of the movie, but you get so caught up in the story that you know, it, it, was, it was told the right way. It wasn't very preachy. It wasn't so on the nose. It was told in, in an right. indirect way, which I think, you know, if, if a movie is going to carry a message like that, I think that's the way to do it.
2: Yeah, I think I think that, that was brilliantly achieved because at the end of the day, the goal is for people to leave the theater and have a conversation about it. And, you know, if, if it were overly preachy, then you wouldn't want to day and watch it if that's not your belief you know so that's the best thing about groupers is that it'll appeal it'll appeal to a mass audience because it's not forcing the subject line down, down your throat but I think it's also important to note because it's something that I haven't emphasized yet that I think is really important the message of the movie is that homosexuality is not a choice and it highlights that through displaying a problem in our society with group think, which is where the title comes through, you know, groupers. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be part of a, a movie that achieves that because I think it's important. And I think that's why people should see it. But also I think people should see it to have a good laugh.
0: No, I think that's perfect. Yeah. You have watched, watch a well done entertaining film with a, a good message behind it. Exactly. I think that's perfect. Yeah. But what's next for you? I know you had mentioned you have another film that's coming out um, towards the end of this year. But other than that, um, what other kind of projects do you
2: have in the works? So I have a couple things in the wheels that I can't really discuss. But right now, as much as I love independent film, we're trying to get more into the television Um, arena so that's of course a goal for any actor in Los Angeles but my first love is with independent films so if I could just keep doing great movies like this I would love that Um, yeah so (sighs) hopefully a couple more things come um, January but I can't talk about those
0: awesome and last question do you have uh, any social media or website that you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you
2: oh yes please well, first of all, always visit the uh, actors IMDb. We love that. Uh, which my name's Nicole Dambro, so just go on uh, IMDb and look up Nicole Dambro. I'm also at nicoledambro.com, and my handles for Instagram and Twitter are at the Nikki D,
0: Perfect. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast. It was great.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for supporting our movie.
0: Thank you once again to Nicole Dambro for coming on the show to talk about groupers. Be sure to follow her on social media to find out what she'll be up to next. And thank you as well to Jason Robbins for once again coming on the show to review another film. This week we did Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. And the reviewing trend will continue on next week's show. Because I don't know if this has happened in the history of this show. But the podcast is actually going to fall on Halloween. Yes, next Thursday is Halloween, October 31st. And Jason and I had this idea a couple of months ago that we are going to do a special two-part Halloween-themed podcasting special for everyone. So part one of this special is going to take place on our show, Nerd Cave Retro, where we'll be joined by former professional wrestler Joey Image, to review Halloween 1 and 2, the original Halloween and its sequel. And then in part two of our special, we're going to be reviewing Halloween 3 on this show. So part one of our special will take place this upcoming Wednesday, October 30th, on Nerd Cave Retro. And you can tune into this show next week on Halloween as we review Halloween part three. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, As of this recording, I've only watched Halloween 3. I still have to watch 1 and 2. I've never seen the films before. I'm not a huge horror fan, to be perfectly honest, and I think that's kind of the fun of it, but it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, anytime Joey Image comes on Nerd Cave Retro, it's a blast. Uh, The reviews have been a lot of fun, so we're going to continue that trend next week. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience if you want to follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night drive Through" and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Fan, which is available on Google Play, Apple Music, and and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Nicole Dambro and Jason Robbins. Be sure to come back next week as we review Halloween Part 3. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.